Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Notes from the Ivy League. And for this week's episode, I'm here with Trixie. She spent her childhood in Vermont in northern New York, where even taking the SAT was a big deal. And she graduated from Smith College in 2017, majoring in government with a minor in public policy. Trixie, thank you so much for joining me this week. I know it's been hectic for a lot of us at this time of the year. Um, So, yeah, how are you I'm good. Thank you so much for having me. Um, Yes, I am currently a manager on an organic produce farm, so it is definitely a hectic time of year. Uh, We're trying to get stuff in the ground. Yeah, uh, so you kind of gave the quick background um, on me. I was born in southern Vermont uh, and spent most of my childhood in upstate New York. For those of you not familiar with the area, uh, it is a pretty um pretty impoverished uh generally politically conservative area um my high school had outdated textbooks that probably don't meet um some sort of standard um and we were definitely pretty low on uh, government funding lists uh like you said um taking the SAT was kind of a reach. Uh, A lot of folks I went to high school with didn't go to college, which is of course fine. Um, But it was, it was a big deal for people to go to college. Um, If you did go to college, even going to like the local community college was a pretty big deal. Uh, And going to a place like Smith, uh, let alone like a true Ivy was kind of unheard of. Why did you want to go to college in the first place? Given that you come from an environment where it's not so common. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so uh, I was actually considered a first generation student in the eyes of Smith, but I don't really think it's fair to say that I am. My uh, my parents are divorced, um, but back in the 80s, uh, they had gone to college. They each did just about a year at University of Vermont, um, and they lived in that area. Uh, and then we later moved to New York. And when I was in middle school, I was in sixth or seventh grade, so 11, 12 years old, um, my father, who was raising me alone, um, decided to go back to college at a local state school in New York and finish up his undergrad and got an undergrad in psychology and immediately after decided to pursue a master's in business administration. Um, and he definitely, he, he's a very, very smart man. And he definitely imparted to me that if I wanted to get out of that town and the rural type of pretty poor life that even we were living, um, I, I really needed to go to college to get that leg up. Okay. Um, and can you talk more about how in the eyes of Smith, you were first gen? Yeah. Um, so I, uh, I didn't, call myself first gen. Um, I didn't put that on any applications or anything like that. Uh, But uh, Smith kind of lumped first gen and low income students into this little group um, and little focus groups, which was fine. And I understand why. Um, And I kind of politely raised my hand and said, well, you know, I'm poor, um, but I'm not first gen. And they said, oh, well, can, can you elaborate a little bit? And I said, sure. Uh, my, my mother, like I said, did that one year at uh, University of Vermont and then dropped out and never pursued college again. But uh, and then told that story about my father. And I said and he that uh, him doing that really gave me both perspective on what college looked like, as well as uh, a leg up and like how to apply, uh, like how do you even get into college, stuff like that. One thing I noticed in, in, in my interviewing people, um, oh, I hear the birds, <laughs> um, is that there tends to be one, like one or two teachers that really impacted them and made them want to go get 
more education. Do you have any of those people for you? Oh yeah, definitely. Well, my junior year English teacher, um, at that point I already knew I wanted to go to college. I already knew that I wanted to go to Smith actually at that time, but my junior year English teacher was so cool. And, um, she didn't go to any like fancy college, just a state school. Um, but she was just a very cool lady. And she also sort of helped introduce me to like, uh, feminism and like feminist music and books and even like specifically like ideas in literature, um, which was really a big deal to me. And I was like, I would love to somehow be that person for like, for the younger generation for people who come after me. Okay. So we're going to take you back a few years and uh, going to ask you to think about some of your hardest moments when you were in high school, when you were applying to college. Yeah. What was it like for you? Uh, it was definitely hard. Fortunately, in high school, um, my two closest friends, um, as well as most of the people I hung out with, uh, were all sure we wanted to go to college. Um, various things, really different approaches, but we all had that common end goal. So it helped to be surrounded by that. Um, but I was not, and <laughs> remain to this day, I am not great at tests, especially standardized tests. So mm -hmm. I still remember I took my first PSAT and then my first SAT and I, I really didn't do well and it was really uh, really jarring and very scary at the time to be like I really have to buckle down or else I'm not gonna end up where I want to be um, if I don't really focus on this. And would you say that applying to college like going to college was was purely for um, escaping your your I guess your situation or were, were there other motivators? Uh, no, definitely, definitely other motivators. Um, <laughs> I, uh, you know, I don't want to shed where I come from in, in too bad a light because it is, mm -hmm. it's a nice place. And I know, yeah. I know plenty of great people from my hometown. Um, but I knew that I wanted something quote unquote better, which I, again, like part of why I went to college was because, uh, before me, um, my dad had been a farmer, been involved in agriculture. And I was part of that as a kid. And mm -hmm. when I was a kid, I was like, I want no part of this. I hate the outside. I hate bugs. Like I want to read all day. I want to be a lawyer. Um, and I, I wanted to do something different. And that in my mind, I definitely saw as better. Um, I, I had really strong dreams of being a lawyer, uh, from probably like seven years old, uh, until I like actually <laughs> went to college. Um, yeah, it was, it wasn't all about just escaping the place. Um, I, I, I've always really liked learning. Um, I even, my high school was not especially academically rigorous. Um, the hardest thing I really had to do was, uh, standardized tests like the SAT or year long or our, I'm sorry, end of year exams. Um, but I knew that I really liked learning and I wanted to do mm -hmm. that and do that at a higher level with, uh, and I was kind of hoping for a challenge as, um, I realize as kind of obnoxious as that sounds, I wasn't really challenged in my high school. I was the fastest mm -hmm. reader, even the stuff I wasn't good at. Like I've never really been like a math and science type of gal. Um, but even that stuff I did pretty well. And so I was really looking for a challenge. But like going back to the, like, you don't want to talk bad about your hometown. It's, it's, I don't think it's talking bad about it. Um, but you just, you see where it could be, right? You're able to criticize it. And you know that at that, at that moment, that is not where you needed to be. Um, 
And like, I think that's completely fine. That's, that's like common with a lot of first gen or low income people. Um, because like, I felt the same way. Like I would, growing up, I would look around and I would be like, oh my gosh, I don't want to work in a factory. I don't want to spend the rest of my life like living in the projects. Like it's just, you're doing an audit of your environment and you're deciding, okay, I have more to give to the world and to my community. I need to, to need to get out. Um, you know? Yeah, definitely. Um, and I, I've definitely heard that from other people who've come from kind of like similar backgrounds as me. Um, mm-hmm. And it's funny because I, I do remember being like, okay, you know, I don't want to work in a factory. I, I don't want to stay here my whole life. Um, I, I want to do something better than this. Mm-hmm. And now that I've kind of gone through that process and like bettered myself, um, now I just keep seeing ways in like ways almost ways in which I could wish I could like help that community yeah like you you really don't hear about people from like you know Vermont um I guess maybe because it's like assumed that they go to college because of I guess ignorance like oh there's snow they must go to college (laughs) (laughs) no absolutely um and I I actually feel really strongly about that um and I think that uh, people, I don't, I don't know what broad definition of people. I, I think, um, kind of like both people who are already in college and people who graduated from college, especially these higher level colleges like Ivy's or like an Amherst college or a Smith college, stuff like that. There's a lot of idea. Like if you're from the Northeast and you're like intelligent and liberal and generally white, like, of course, like, you're going to go to college, you've gone to college, mm-hmm. like, that's just accepted. Um, and it's, uh, I, it's interesting to me, um, back home, even though we were all pretty much, uh, I say back home in, in upstate New York, like growing up, we were all pretty much on the same um, social level, there was definitely a little bit of economic difference, but frankly, not a whole lot in like the grand scheme of this country's like uh, economic classes. Um, Mm -hmm. But even then we had white trash kids in school. And then we had those of us who like weren't, or at least thought we weren't white trash. (laughs) And while I was at Smith, somebody called me white trash our like first year. And it really hit me. I was like, Oh, like that's, that's how people see me here. Um, Mm -hmm. And I, I don't know if that was a fair generalization to take away, but I definitely did encounter that more and more. I'm a poor white person and, and frankly, I didn't give up a lot of the comforts of like of home. Like I like wearing boots, you know, I don't always put on clean jeans. You know, I ended up working at a farm again and stuff like that. And so I, I almost embraced white trash as mm-hmm. like, I'm like, yes, I, uh, I frequently describe myself as like well-educated white trash um, in, mm-hmm. in like an endearing way. Yeah. I mean, like, but also you shouldn't have to, like, you shouldn't have to peel off these layers of of your experience and what makes you feel comfortable what like really integrate into your identity like other students don't have to do that right yeah um I remember I went to school with a guy also from Arkansas would wear cowboy hats or like you know all these things people look at him funny but it's like no like that's just part of the culture like that's where he's from and if schools are going to accept people from all these backgrounds there's not a dress code um, at least not a formal one for a lot of schools. There might be an unspoken one. But yeah, like I'm glad you you stuck to it because people need to see need to see different experiences, different cultures, 
And that was like one of the first things that I noticed when I got to school. I was like, oh my gosh, these people, so many people, so many groups of people dress so differently and they have, they react differently in different cultures. And you might know a similar experience being in like, I I came from a pretty homogenous background in terms of like culture and like religion, all these things. And so college was like a, a huge like punch to the gut because I just never met someone who was Muslim. I never met someone who was vegan. I never met someone who identified as a feminist, right? Mm-hmm. Um, like all, like, even though I, I guess I noticed commonalities um, on, along all these things, but I never heard someone like proclaim themselves as X, Y, Z, you know? Yeah, ab- absolutely. I, um, I, that, that pretty much kind of, uh, um, nails down my experience too. I, um, I was kind of like the angry feminist girl in my high school, <laughs> which was mm-hmm. a weird experience. Um, but, oh, and I also look back and recognize there were definitely things I was like, I was way over the top. And I think some of it was a reaction to the pretty, again, like pretty conservative, um, Uh, traditional like stuff around me and we Mm -hmm. uh like you mentioned you'd never met like a vegan person or a a practicing muslim person and my high school um we had i think like two uh people of color uh one time i remember being in high school and looking at like the uh the statistics um from the census for our hometown and we were literally able to narrow it down to the specific people of color in my town and one of them was my best friend and her mother who were filipina and you could like see them on the town census records because we had so few people of color um so it was really really a huge change of pace uh going to smith and even smith and the the pioneer valley of massachusetts are still a pretty overall white area i recognize that more now that i've been here for a while but uh, my first year, I lived with an uh, an international student from China who had arrived in the U.S. for the first time about four days before me. Um, and it was a huge culture shock, probably for both of us. Uh, but there was a lot around me that I was just kind of trying to take in. And, mm-hmm. and then I got hit with like, oh, she's white trash. I was like, I don't. I, wow. <laughs> and then I recognize now it's other people who are probably people who had come from like a city or a suburb, uh, uh, especially like an affluent suburb who probably never met anybody who thought like wearing overalls and boots <laughs> and like a baseball yeah. cap was normal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it's in a, in a lot of ways. It's like when you, when you come from a background that I guess some would say like disadvantaged um, or whatever, what you want to call it. It's kind of like you go to college with a sixth sense, right? It's like you go there and you see these things. But some a lot like a lot of people they don't they're they're just oblivious to it like so you you know you're like um you know Haley Joel Osment like I see inequality like, <laughs> you know yep <laughs> um and it can kind of make you feel like you are maybe you're just seeing things maybe like like you said maybe you're just overreacting um but I I don't know maybe it's just like more of like an awakening of sorts. Yeah, um, definitely. And my my first year, I uh, I was on work study all through college. Um, but first years at Smith are relegated to uh, dining hall duty. So essentially, mm. we wash every. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> uh, yeah, if you're uh, yeah, fun fact. Um, if you're a first year at Smith, you work in the dining halls unless you get a 
research grant. Um, they have special names for it. I'm still actually not sure how you get a research grant. Um, it seemed they seem to be like mostly for uh, science folks. So obviously mm -hmm. I probably didn't qualify for one, but they also seem to be at, at least from my perspective, pretty wealthy folks like who'd gone to really good high schools um, and stuff like that. And I re distinctly remember uh, one, one person I knew who had one of those grants was like, Oh yeah, I have a patent pending. And that just blew my mind. I'm like, you have, well, what now? Like, <laughs> I, like, I knew what a patent was, but I was like, um, I didn't know high schoolers had those except for those like prodigy kids you read about in the newspaper. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, yeah, so I worked in a dining hall uh, my first year at Smith. And like you were saying, sometimes like uh, you have that sixth sense and it's like, oh, maybe am I reading too much into this? And I remember both myself and several of my coworkers, um, all of we were all from fairly similar backgrounds, I'd say. Um, but we noticed that people had like little to no respect for how they put their dishes out for us. Uh, and these, mind you, these are like dirty dishes that we have to wash and that's fine. We understand that's part of the job, but people would like set their dish down and then like shove it at us across this counter rather than like scrape your plate, put your silverware where it's supposed to go, put your plate where it's supposed to go. And I remember like right off the bat, I was like, it seems to me like these people are just throwing dirty dishes at us. And then I was like, no, mm -mm, it's got to be me. I, you know, I'm thinking like, oh, rich people throwing their dishes at the poor girl doing dishes. And then mm -hmm. after a few weeks, one of us in the, in the kitchen finally kind of broke the silence. We're like, uh, have you ever noticed that people tend to just throw your dishes at you? And we all had, <laughs> we all kind of had that. Oh, thank God it wasn't just me um talk and it was yeah it was definitely kind of one of those am I seeing something that's actually there or am I just like paranoid because I'm afraid I stand out somehow yeah and um like having those people that you can talk with and ask these questions is like so important so now I'm curious like how is the I guess first gen or low income like community at Smith if there even if there even is one yeah. Um, so I, uh, I do not have a ton of, uh, friends from Smith, uh, at least mm -hmm. who I'm still in touch with. Um, and I definitely, I think a large part of that, um, was because the times when social stuff would have happened, especially my first year, which is kind of when you meet like that crucial group, um, or at least a few people who you end up staying with most of the social stuff was taking place while I was working. Um, at Smith specifically, they are very proud of the fact that you live in what they call houses, not dorms. Um, and mm -hmm. these houses, mine was one of the smaller ones and it still had 50 some odd people in it. So it's pretty big. Um, but it was still fairly tight knit. Uh, and for instance, like most people ate dinner together in the living room every night. And I missed that because I was washing dishes. Um, mm -hmm. and I couldn't join clubs and stuff because I was washing dishes. So some of the friends I made uh, were from washing dishes or <laughs> other forms of work um, and others I just got fortunate enough to kind of happen upon. Um, but my best friend from Smith, uh, who actually fortunately still lives in the area, as do I, um, we still hang out on a regular basis. And they're from a pretty similar background as, uh, as I am, um, just from other side of the country. They're from New Mexico. Um, and we got along from the beginning and are still friends in large part because we understood what it was like to be in that pretty difficult 
space. It was hard Mm -hmm. to, it was hard to get along. Um, It was hard to do stuff because our, our peers, our classmates would say, Oh, we're going to go out for sushi. And we're like, great. I can't, (laughs) I mean, in my case, I don't like seafood anyway. So I could say like, Oh, I've never had sushi as an excuse. Not that I'd really want to go anyway. But there was just this habit of doing pretty expensive stuff and having to find a way to like politely excuse yourself from that gets more and more difficult and more and more noticeable. Other people will ask and be like, well, why don't you want to come? And then eventually you just kind of have to be like, I'm working or I don't have the money, which is always awkward. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) Sorry. Um, But to kind of go back to your original question, there was not there there's kind of an unspoken community I feel like we just kind of find each other somehow um Mm -hmm. I I don't know (laughs) I I'm not quite sure exactly how that happens um but that's definitely how I found people like in in my spot um especially at the beginning and I will say over the course of my uh four years at Smith um and now still kind of watching from the post-grad sidelines, there is an organization that started up during my time there, I believe, um, that got spearheaded by a first-gen low-income student from the New York City area. And they have done amazing things. And they are, they very much brand themselves as inclusive to low-income and first-gen students, um, which is Great, because like I mentioned, I don't really fit into that first gen thing. And if I recall mm-hmm. correctly, the group that we had, or I'm sorry, the group that Smith had when I first came in as a first year uh, was really targeted more towards first gen students. And I totally understand. And I think that people who are truly first gen, like really need that space. But I was like, what about me? I'm poor. I want to talk to somebody about how hard it is to be here. Um, mm-hmm. And this group that's developed has really uh, is is really open to that. I believe they have like monthly meetings and hangouts, and I know people are like friends in informally uh, within that group. So I'm really happy to see that ha- to to be seeing that happen. Um, and I kind of wish I'd found more spaces like that for myself while I was there, or that that it existed to a bigger extent. Okay. Um, but I guess, yeah, that, I think that's, that's good for, for college talk. I mean, the podcast isn't all about college, <laughs> um, but, you know, obviously food is a huge part of your life. Um, do you want to talk more about, you know, farming, maybe the farm you work at, um, anything you want to share about, the, about that aspect of yourself yeah for sure um yeah so farming is farming agriculture is a huge part of who i am um i was born into it um i spent my young childhood being shuffled around dairy farms in upstate new york um i i like i mentioned earlier i didn't really um I didn't really care for it when I was young. I was, I, I told my dad kind of straight up, I was like, I'm more of a sidewalk kind of gal. Like I really see myself <laughs> in a city or a suburb. And now I laugh. Um, I, I, I've grown, I've, cities have grown on me, but I could never, ever see myself in a suburb. Um, so mm-hmm. I am CSA and wholesale manager uh, for a farm here in Western Massachusetts. Uh, it's called Red Fire Farm. Um, we are all organic produce. Um, we farm about a hundred acres a year. 
Um, and we do a good bit uh, in sales. Um, essentially, my job title, to break that down a little bit, um, I'm responsible for all sales and customer care um, with the exception of retail sales. Those are handled separately. But I keep in touch with all of our CSA members um, and help sell CSAs and oversee that whole program. And we do have about 1,500 members at the peak of season, which is a lot. Uh, and then wholesale customers. Um, we do, I think it's about $2 million a year um, in wholesale sales. Okay. Um, so I keep in touch with those customers and maintain that. And I, I think it's funny how growing up, you, you told you told your dad, nope, I'm not going to do this farm crap. Um, I'm going to live in a city. Like, I, I think it's I think it's so funny how the places or like the traits of the places that we, you know, we leave or escape from, however you want to phrase it, give us so much comfort when we're older. Like, like, I remember growing up, I was like, oh, my gosh. Like, growing up in the projects, there's always a, a liquor store on every corner. There's always, like, you know, all these things, right? But then now that I'm older, like, especially when I first left home, I felt so uncomfortable in spaces where I did not see a corner store or I didn't see, <laughs> like, a mom-and-pop shop. Like, I felt really uneasy. And now to this day, I just have, like, a, a real, I guess unexplainable like nostalgic feeling or affinity towards those things towards those environments just because that's that's where I'm from um and for some people when they when they leave they think oh like when I when I leave this town I'm gonna forget it ever existed like everything I, about it I hate I'm gonna change my new my, my life my identity but it's like no like there you can still keep the positive and still you know, appreciate and value where you're from. It's just, you just, you decided that you needed more, you know? Absolutely. Um, yeah, you, you really hit that on the head. Um, I did not, I also for the record, um, I never thought that I would end up back in agriculture, even for most of my time in college. Um, I, I went into college thinking I was going to I knew I wanted to do government. Um, I didn't know in exactly what capacity. Uh, I was really interested in international relations for like a quick second. Um, and I was like, eh. Uh, it was actually right around my sophomore year. I took, um, I took two seminars, actually both at Amherst College, um, just down the road from Smith, another like almost Ivy. Um, and one of them was on uh, housing and poverty policy in the United States. And I could not get enough of it. Um, and it was really, really interesting to me specifically because we were talking about um, pretty, <laughs> what was to my mind, uh, like pretty basic stuff, um, like Section 8 vouchers, um, housing insecurity, uh, just mm -hmm. things like that. And I was like, oh, yep, I know people who've dealt with that. This is this is real. I've seen boarded up houses like blah 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 and I remember we watched uh this movie can't for the life of me think of the name of it um but it depicted like 
it was supposed to be depicting the like the horrible struggle of America's poverty. And it showed somebody making fried potatoes and sitting on a lazy boy recliner. And I was like, what? That's just Monday. Like, that's not horrible poverty. <laughs> like, that's just what I grew up with. And I realized that it was another one of those moments of like, oh, this is what's normal to me and not normal to other people. And mm. I was explaining things to these people in my class and they were like part horrified, part really interested because they were all good people and they did genuinely like want to learn about this and understand. But I would say, yeah, you know, like almost my, my almost my entire school was on free or reduced lunch. And mm. they were like, oh, oh, wow, that's that's horrible. And I realized that I was in this kind of unique position to be able to like speak to these people on their level. Um, these like mm-hmm. mostly white, well-educated, gen- in general, pretty wealthy, in this case, Amherst College or Smith College students who just like didn't really realize that this is like, God, this is what a good chunk of like everyday America looks like, because I could speak to them using like the words and the language they were comfortable with, but also explain to them like, yep, this is how we do it back home. Like fried potatoes is a great dinner. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Um, And yeah. And so it was through that I realized I kind of had this great this like great little niche. Like I've lived that life. I've uh, (laughs) I've dug for potatoes. Uh, I've received government assistance, but I have the skills and the education and frankly, the support behind me and that leg up in the past to be able to then speak to these people who either they are in a position to make a difference um, or they're at least in a position to hear what I'm saying and like, and take that forward. And whether they become, you know, our next congressperson or maybe that's me someday, I I realized that I was in this position. And so that's kind of how I ended up back in, back in like the, basically the policy or the advocacy, I guess you could say the policy Mm -hmm. or the advocacy areas of like what I come from. Um, like my uh I ended up back at this farm because prior to uh prior to graduation at the end of my junior year I moved to Washington DC for 7 months and worked for some agriculture nonprofits who are specifically looking to help uh family farms and small farms and I was realizing that that was a fantastic experience but even people at the highest levels of those organizations and don't and and in government as well um didn't actually have firsthand experience with this stuff and they didn't really understand the day-to-day struggles um Mm -hmm. and it it was great uh it was a great experience and it was really eye-opening and i realized that you know if i want to go into government or if i really want to go into policy in this in these areas i need to go back and do this firsthand again so i can basically update my my knowledge on what the firsthand challenges are. So that's kind of the roundabout story of how I ended up doing what I'm doing now. Um, I wanted to basically go back to the farm and see, you know, what are the struggles for the current farmer? Um, Mm -hmm. And I I already have this basic background in it. I I grew up living it. Um, So now working it professionally, um, I'll be able to hopefully take that forward and move that into policy and make a change to help to help people who come from what I come from. Mm-hmm. Awesome. I mean, like you need, you need those people that have that experience 
to be in positions of power to actually really make changes and so then you know they can be in the room and say actually you know this sounds good to you but i not we should tweak this this bill or you know adjust this program you know mm-hmm. um, yeah but very very important yeah, and that's that's basically exactly what I want to do. Um, I'm not <laughs> like when I grow up. Um, I'm not a, entirely sure what path that's going to take for me or what mm-hmm. what that's going to look like. But that's what I want to do because there's this really big disconnect between what life on the ground looks like for people, um, especially from like we were talking about at the very beginning. Um, you you were saying this like kind of rural American, this like underserved rural American populace is um, kind of not really represented and not definitely like not represented accurately. Um, Mm -hmm. So I'm hoping to kind of bring that forward. And I I don't know what that's going to look like, especially post uh, in in current political situation and uh, after this. Um, And I know there was a lot of think pieces and good pieces um, about like, how how did or did rather rural america like cause the situation we're in now like did rural america elect trump if so why etc cetera, etc cetera. but without going into that i do definitely think that a lot of rural america is underserved and i uh, i think i'm in a nice i think i'm in a position to help um from lived experience and then just bring that to the next level okay um and do you have any quotes that you like to think of a lot oh (laughs) you had to ask I feel like they all just left my brain um I definitely so I I feel like uh one that's really stuck with me for very long time at this point um it's actually from uh an illustrated it's a little cartoon um from this Finnish author I'm not sure if you've ever heard of the moomins Mm-mm. Okay, um, they're these really cute, like, little doughy uh, Finnish, I want to say Finnish, um, little Finnish characters. They're adorable. Um, this little guy named Moomin is, like, the main protagonist, and he gets off to all sorts of these, like, weird adventures. But it's, like, a very Scandinavian cartoon, so, like, people actually feel the consequences for real-world actions and stuff. Um, but one of my favorite quotes is... Uh, it's it's from that cartoon and I like it so much in part because I have had the same little pair of red, uh, they're little barn boots, like little basically rain boots. Um, mm-hmm. I've had the same pair since I was probably like nine or 10 years old because um, I haven't grown much since then. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm, I'm a fairly small person. Um, but so I've always really liked those boots and they've become kind of this like joke legacy. Um, but so one of my favorite quotes uh, from Moomins is um, float on clouds, wear red boots and always, always live in peace. And I just like that. It's very soothing. Like as soon as you think about it and it's just, it, it kind of encapsulates like this idealistic world that the Moomins live in. And it's nice to kind of channel that peace sometimes. Okay, yeah, that, that sounds very, very peaceful. <laughs> um, for that random kid in, in Vermont or Idaho or Florida, um, do you have any advice for them? Yeah, for sure. Um, 
it's probably a really worn out cliche, but don't be afraid to ask for help. Um, whether you're in, whether you're in a high school that's really easy and doesn't challenge you, but you're not sure what your next step is, um, ask for help, find a a teacher or a mentor or somebody like that and ask them. It's okay to, to not really know what's going to come next, but to know that you want something to know that you want something better, um, or a change. That's fine. Um, take advantage of the people around you. And I mean that in in the good way, not the, the take advantage way. Um, but there, there are smart, educated, intelligent people around you everywhere, no matter where you are. And most of the time they're happy to help you. They want to help you. So take advantage of that. Um, pick people's brains. You don't have to be at a, at an Ivy league institution to, take advantage of like that network, um, Mm -hmm. or to have intelligent people around you. Um, you know, some of the, some of the most intelligent, well-reasoned people I've known have been farmers and welders and loggers and stuff like that. So don't dismiss that. Um, ask people for advice, even if you don't agree with it, or you think they're taking you in a different path, hear them out there. There's gotta be at least a, a grain of wisdom in there. Nice. Um, well, Trixie, thank you for joining me this week. Um, yeah, I, I hope you enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. I did. Yes. Um, thank you. And uh, for everyone listening, I'll put the show notes on my blog and on my social media so you can check it out there. And yeah, thank you for listening and we will see you next week. Thank you.